0: Wisdom and direction and evaluation of our church as he is involved in the direction and evaluation of those churches in Revelation. This is uh important self examination, and we just want to be sensitive to what the Lord has to say to us. We want to have, as the text in the scripture says, we don't have. Um, Ears to hear and eyes nice to see what the Spirit says to the churches and particularly to, to us. <clears throat> These are good things to do. It's always a good thing to evaluate yourself and your salvation as well, as your purpose, your personal walk. We've been talking about that this morning, and <clears throat> how easy it is to become diverted and to, to reduce salvation to some kind of formula of belief without having any kind of backup or commitment or surrender involved in it and uh, there's a lot of misinformation and uh, i think we are aware when we talk about that of the vital importance of being faithful in church attendance and the vital importance of teaching truth in the scriptures uh, because uh, that is how we know what what god's word says that's how we know the truth we all are Believers, we do believe in the, the uh, priesthood of the believer that we, because we know the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can come to the scriptures and study them. But the place in which we develop our doctrine and our teaching is corporately together, and we teach the scriptures together, and we learn what the Bible says. We don't go to television or other places like that, the History Channel or whatever. We had I uh, had one friend telling one time but we we do know that the scripture is clear. So uh, we're looking at the second church, the Church of Smyrna, and the text for that is Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. So let me read that, and then we will begin to look at it uh, briefly this morning. Beginning in verse eight, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this i know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich and the blasphemy of those who say that they are jews but are not but are a synagogue of satan do not fear what you're about to suffer Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days be faithful unto death and i will give you the crown of life he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And we we know that these letters carry a sort of a similar stamp in the way they all are introduced by the Lord, who says, "I know your works. I'm aware of that." That's a comfort to us, by the way, that the Lord knows about what we're doing, and is aware of it. They all have a challenge to be overcomers, to overcome the pressures of the world and the distractions and things like that uh, each of them ends with a little place here has them here let him hear what the spirit says to the churches uh, each one of them has uh is introduced with a unique title of the Lord to describe the Lord in a way that is uniquely applicable to the letters and so on and so forth and so there is a similarity between them and uh, we feel like as we are reading the letters at least I do that we're ...traversing sacred ground and listening to some very sacred communication that comes from the Lord as he is walking among the churches and as he holds the ministers or the messengers in his right hand. This is a very important uh, ...picture of what is going on and so let's look at it and uh, we will try to go as quickly as we can because of the interest of time. Uh, beginning, of course, with the church at Smyrna. By the way, um, in the, in verse chapter one, verse nineteen, we turn back. Uh, I think I failed to mention this before, but in verse nineteen, it kind of verse nineteen gives us sort of a an overview or an outline of the entire book of Revelation. He says in verse nineteen, "Write the things which you have seen." All right now, this is John, and he is uh, in the on the Isle of Patmos, and he is having a vision. Uh, He's caught up into the kind of the spiritual realm, able to see things in the spiritual realm around him, and not just limited by the physical realm. And uh, so those are things that he has seen. So he's told to write the things that you have seen. And then um, after that, he says, and the things which are, which I take to be the seven letters to the seven churches. These are the things that are existing now. Write about those things. And then the things which will take place after these. And so then the rest of the book seems to be relating things that will take place in the future after this. And so we are in picturing the things that are right now. As we're looking at this uh, angel to the church in Smyrna, this is during this church age. This is looking at the things that exist. The church of Smyrna, the name actually, you can tell almost by the English word smurr. Um, the word well, it's a word that, that is translated in septuagint myrrh uh, myrrh is a, a uh, resinous gum it's an urgent that uh, is used for embalming as well it, it uh, gives off a um extremely sweet odor when it's crushed which i think is indicative of this church because this is a church that was going through persecution bible says in the world you will have pressure or persecution uh, but the recognize that i have overcome the world and uh, so the the pressures of the church the the persecution the things that drive us uh, the pressures that come upon us to try to make us turn away from the lord but in fact we are faithful to that and we endure are like a sweet aroma to the lord and it's a it's a beautiful thing to see and so here's this this name smyrna taken from uh the, the, it means bitter the, the Greek term is translated myrrh and uh it's a it's a rep, represents the persecution that brings beauty I guess you could say in our response it's a beautiful thing to see people that are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ no matter the pressures that come upon them and every person in this room experiences that to one form or another sometimes the pressures that come are not necessarily persecutions but distractions it's easy to be distracted and uh sometimes they are disappointments or discouragements it's easy to be disappointed and discouraged when we get our focus off of the lord and onto something else it's easy to do that so here's this church it's located not too far from ephesus uh obviously if this, these seven letters are on a coastal route, first one is Ephesus, the next one, which is just about 40 miles north of Ephesus uh, is the church or the little area of Smyrna. Uh, the city, the ancient city was destroyed in 627 BC and lay in ruins for about 400 years. Vincent, I wrote down, uh, Vincent made a comment. He said, Alexander the Great contemplated design for its restoration. But it was actually carried on after carried out after his death it is a beautiful city it was built um kind of a short distance from the original city uh and it was confirmed to be one of the most beautiful in asia minor in fact it was known as the glory of asia and uh it was it, uh, was a natural had kind of a, a natural design it was laid out well designed and it was it, uh, stretched from the bay up to the slopes of pegas large hill which was covered with stately temples and majestic buildings and so on and so forth the design of the layout of the street was in, impressive as well they were lined with trees all along the outside of the, the city going out almost like columns and uh, so it was a a, a beautiful city and laid out and real nice. one of the the famous streets and that's called the street of gold which curved around pegas uh, and uh, they were with the uh, temples and things lining the street they said it looked like a necklace around a person's neck with all the street with all these big temples and you you've gone to we go sometimes to the housing for bible study uh which has a lot of big homes in that it's very impressive to drive down and see some <coughs> big homes and stuff anyway <clears throat> it was quite a quite a place uh it had a deep harbor uh, it had, uh it's kind of a harbor that was good for commercial centers. It was uh, a wealthy and beautiful city, and lay at the uh, the also lay at the end of the road was was the rich valley of the humus River. Um, there, there, there were many there were several markets in the city that found outlets because of the effective harbor that, that was easy for being able to uh ship merchandise back and forth the harbors the harbor in ephesus was a big harbor too but it's filled up with silt and it, was, it was kind of a lot of shallow areas in it uh the culture and the religion in smyrna was uh, there was a the, the town that was distinguished with schools uh for rhetoric and philosophy it was a seat of the worship of Sabel, the mother of the gods Dionysius or Bacchus, Smyrna was also the seat of the Roman emperor of worship. And because of that, and because emperor worship was such an important part of the culture that helped build that city, uh, it was punishable for those who refused to worship or say Caesar is Lord or offer incense to Caesar. And uh, The bishop, the 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 well-known bishop of Smyrna was Polycarp, and Polycarp, at the age of 86, was burned alive at the stake because he refused to offer worship to Caesar as God and refused to call him Lord. And so it was a it was a place in which there was a lot of pressure to capitulate and to give in to the pressures. We have a, a letter that was circulated from the church that's Smyrna to other churches in the Christian world and relates how the Jews uh, in this city, there was a prominent Roman emperor worship center, but also there was a large gathering of Jews and they uh, joined with a lot of the Gentiles, a lot of the Romans in demanding that Polycarp be punished for his refusal to worship uh, Caesar and they were suggesting either cast him to the lions or burn him alive. They, uh, the Jewish community, even led the way in bringing firewood to the fire that had one burned at the stake. And so it was, you can see the hostility that was there. You would think it would be more in Ephesus. Well, Ephesus, there was a hostility there too, but the, the word, the gospel, spread from Ephesus to around the, the, the area. But Smyrna was the area in which there was a, a fire of persecution. And uh, so anyway, this, this letter, this church there, in that area was undergoing a lot of pressure. And uh, probably it was founded by the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the, the church in Smyrna. And uh, we know in the second missionary journey, Paul came down and he stopped briefly at Ephesus with the, soul and the call, left him there, and then went on back to Jerusalem. In his third missionary journey, he goes to Ephesus and he begins to work there uh, with uh well, first of all, when he comes into the area, he meets the disciples of John the Baptist who ask him, Did you receive the Holy Spirit after you believe? You remember that incident took place up near outside of Ephesus. But then shortly after that, he goes and begins to preach to the synagogue. So he's there for three months preaching. And uh, there's a lot of opposition that kind of surfaces around Paul. So he takes his disciples and he goes uh, to a I guess it's like a warehouse, a place where they begin to teach, and they call it the, the, well, let me read it to you real quickly. Uh, Acts 19 says, but when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people he withdrew from them and took away the disciples' reasoning daily in what is called the School of Quirinius, we're not sure whether that's a a building that was owned by this guy or whether it was some kind of work that uh, was named in his honor, whatever. Uh, this took place for two or three years, for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so that's just to give you an idea that, in so far as Ephesus was concerned, that's where the ministry really began to blossom. But the outreach spread to other areas, and, and we believe that Paul was the one who helped found the church there in Smyrna, which is about 40 miles north of Ephesus. Uh, Paul served up the Jews uh, after his preaching in the synagogue. And so that Ephesus, Smyrna became really one of the most dangerous places for believers to fellowship because there was a lot of persecution there and a lot of hardship, um, as well as their loyalty to Rome for emperor worship. The speaker, I want to slow down at this point, even though we really don't have a lot of time. I want to make a comment on this. Each of these letters contains a unique title of the Lord. That applies to that church in a unique way. If you remember when we were looking at the letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, which was the church that lost its first love, so to speak, the one who writes the letter is introduced um, as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this and uh, he's noted he's introduced twice there as the one who does these things it's it's i think it's a way of just describing this this awesome being as the one who does this in our letter he's not introduced as the one uh, rather he said it just says the first and the last who was dead and it's come to light says and he begins to, to talk so he's not called the one in our letter but in the first letter He is called the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now let's just for a moment recognize the seven stars that is about in the letter to Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars represents the seven pastors or the seven messengers of the letters. And so here you have the the church. So here you have the, 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 the leadership of the churches being held in the hand by the one who's speaking. And not only that, but he is ministering among the churches by walking among them. When it says he holds the seven ministers, it's a way of saying that he is in charge of them, that he oversees their ministry, their work. Um, he is the one that uh, conducts the things in their lives. And I think about that myself as a pastor, that I'm accountable to the Lord. I'm going to answer to the Lord. I know I'm going to stand before him. How not you know that that is a, a, a fearful thought. That really is. To, to know that I'm gonna give an account to the Lord for how I lead the church and how I shepherd we're talking about shepherding this morning, how I pass in the church, that's that's a that is a very sobering, sobering, sobering thought. And not only that, but you see that this one who is holding the shepherds in his hand is also walking there in this spiritual picture among the churches, so that he's conducting the activities of the church and the historical activities around the church he's overseeing them he's he's um he's aware of the churches and what's going on he makes judgment calls that if you don't do this your life's going to be put out and so on and so on. i'm going to take your place he said to the church that remove you from your place and so this, i think this first introduction of the one who does this should be a very sobering revelation to the church not to lose that love for this one this one who is in charge of the shepherds and this one who is overseeing the shepherds and taking care of them and the one who knows what's going on with the churches the one place you don't want to lose your focus is with him And yet, that's the very very thing that they had done they had kind of they were doing a lot of things but they had lost that initial love affair you see what i'm saying for the for the churches and for the for the lord and so that's I think that's very important. Now in our letter, he's introduced as the first and the last, um, who was the first and the last, who was dead and has come to life. Let's stop with that for just a moment. We looked at the first. Um, the one, I, I, we could translate that, the one who has the first place the one who has the first rank the one who is begin, who started out before anybody else i think first place or first rank is probably a good way of looking at it the one who has first first place the one who has first rank and also now last last um could be last in rank um last in time we uh, it could also refer to um last in in uh, value or last in extreme worth or whatever i think he's just simply saying here is the one who has the highest rank the highest place and but he is also the one who's taken the lowest place the lowest rank the lowest most extreme um position uh and he does that because he is the one who is dead and has come to life and this is the, this is god god doesn't die But he has taken on himself the form of humanity or man and as man he he uh went from the greatest to the least and he became uh subject to death and he died but he is alive again forevermore so i think it's a way of of the lord doesn't call us to suffer in a way that he has not he has paved the way and when he says be faithful unto death he was faithful the dead and uh we we have an awesome awesome shepherd an awesome savior an awesome lord who has given everything for us for our welfare for our security for our growth for our development for the effectiveness of us that's why i i think it's important that we pray about the bible study and pray about the outreach and things because our effectiveness is resulting in his working through us and using us as instruments as his, for his children to bring honor and glory to his name, and that's what we want. We don't. We don't want. <clears throat> we don't want the testimony to be uh, this pastor over there at this church did really good, and he was really very famous, and everything We don't want that. We want the same thing that was said. I think it was Spurgeon. Somebody went to England to hear Spurgeon. Spurgeon, and I don't know who the other preacher was, the two preachers, and they went and came back and they said, well, this first preacher had a magnificent message and he was wonderful, but Spurgeon has a wonderful Savior. And that was the thing that that impressed him about this. And that's what we want. We want the Lord to be more exalted through our ministry than we are. We don't want to have the first place. And um, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we like our... I tease about having a picture out of the marquee out there or whatever like that. And you know I'm teasing about that because I <clears throat> Anyway, first of all, I want to eat. Okay, well, what? Good thing we don't it. <laughs> so, um, the one who is first and last who was dead has come to life. We want his name to be exalted. That name, by the way, that phrase, I am the first and last, is not... Isolated to this one text, and if you turn back to Revelation chapter one verse seventeen, <clears throat> John is talking about that he's he's here is this the word of this uh, the exalted Christ, and he says, "I saw him. I fell at his feet as a dead man." Which, by the way, is the best place for anybody to be, be on that face before the Lord. He said, "I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me." Can you imagine that? Just in passing, just awesome. Here is the Lord, John, in the presence of this exalted Christ, whom he saw and fell on his face of a dead man. And now this one reaches out and touches him. And, and then it's hard to, to, to control, control contain yourself in a way. He says, Do not be afraid. What did he say? I am the first and the last. The living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Revelation chapter one, verse eight. And the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord who is, who was, and who is to come. I am the one who is now. I am the sovereign over everything. I am the one. By the way, strictly speaking, there is only one. And everything else is created. Everything else is created. All the angels, all the, the, when you look at heaven and you see living creatures and you see thrones and you see elders and you see uh, angels with uh, trumpets and angels with different things, and wings, and different ice configuration, and things like that. And it looks kind of strange and weird. Mm-hmm. But we're we're told that there are myriads, literally you could say, could say millions and millions of angels. Does that have a you have a hard time with that? How many people are there on the planet? They say what four, five billion? Seven, seven. seven million? Okay, every one of them has a different finger have a fingerprint. Every one of them has a different DNA. Elaine used to marvel at the fact that every person has two eyes and nose and mouth and two ears and yet everybody looks different but that can fit just five things and everybody even even identical twins there are some differences so um god doesn't have a problem with with big numbers and creating and we've got all these angels and these creatures uh being created and uh these these are and he is but they are not the one they are all created he and he alone, who has the power of being himself, is the one. He is the one. That's why he says, when you talk about my name, I am. That's all you need to know. Everything else is created. I am. I'm the only one that is, that is establishing myself, uh, being the one. And so he says here, the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was, who is, I always have been, I will always be in the future. I am the almighty. So here is the one. And that, that phrase is also used in the Old Testament, Isaiah 41. Um, well, I'll just read. It says, I, the Lord, am the first and I am the last. It's, I'm just skipping over the, the, the scripture for in the interest of time. That's Isaiah 41, 4. Isaiah 44, uh, 6. The Lord says, uh, The King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Isaiah 48, uh, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I have called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. Hmm. So, this is, this is um, a very important designation that the Lord gives to the church there that he's going to be telling this little church, which seems to be insignificant and uh, small, uh, is a church that is going to go through persecution. Now, we're a small church here. I don't know if we're going to go through prosecution like that or not i don't know but i know the lord asks us to be faithful i know that and uh, it is not a curse uh, if you were called to do that he is who was dead and has come and he's now come back to life he's became dead and he lives again That's maybe the best way to translate like that then he goes on to say i know which is a nice thing that he knows that uh, by the way that idea of knowing is a way of saying that i have experienced mm-hmm what you're going through i've experienced your tribulation and your poverty um you're poor but you're really rich and the blasphemy of those who say they are jews and are not so he says i can appreciate that the tribulation the pressure the courage that you go through we we uh, sometimes again we think that the, the lord doesn't know what we go through. He knows what we're going to do. He knows it better than we do. And he cares. And he's able to take care of it. But sometimes, as it is the case here, the pressure is not something that we'll get rid of. The pressure is there to help grow. The, the pressure, the crushing creates a sweet uh air, a testimony for the for the Lord and for his mercy and for his grace. As we are crushed and we cry out, that pressure of being faithful to him produces worship and glory not only with us but also the angels in heaven and so it's a good thing it's not a bad thing so the pressure that we have which i don't like and i'm sure you don't like them produce a good thing and so it's not a, it's not it's not a cause for cursing or whatever uh, he goes on to say i know your poverty <clears throat> this is the uh, probably the pressure that comes from the other jewish people for those who their faith and uh, there's a they're the ones that the, this Jewish uh, group later in this text actually termed synagogue of Satan. There's a lot of persecution they've been leveling against the church. And uh, the result of that pressure, pressure is because of their faith. If they were not Christians, if they were not being faithful to the Lord, if they would go along with the rest of the world, they wouldn't be persecuted. They'd be prospering like everybody else. But they, they took a stand for the truth, refusing to bend to the pressures to deny the Lord and to stop and their worship of the Savior. And because of that, they were persecuted and they even uh, some of them martyred. Um, so Jesus says, I know that. I know the, the blasphemy by those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Um, synagogue of Satan. This is a term that is designated by the lord jesus himself to these jews who i'm sure these jews uh, were serious about their their keeping of the sabbath their keeping of the law obeying the law and things of this nature and i'm sure they would be highly offensive offended at this but this is what the lord says uh they are a synagogue of satan if I were to go through and read it, I could read in Acts 13:50, 50, Acts 14 2 5 and 6, Acts 14 19, Acts 17 5, all of them are passages in which the Jews persecuted the Christian church. They were termed Jews, they persecuted the Christian church. Acts 26 2, uh, Paul before Agrippa talks about that uh, he was accused of the Jews uh, and uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 14 and 15 even the persecution that has come from the Jews. So the point is, and I'm not going to labor this for the time, but the point is that there was a lot of persecution that was leveled against the Christian church from the Jews, the same people who rejected Jesus as messiah Messiah. That's true. Now, I know we don't have as much persecution today from the Jews, insofar as they did in the early church, but things like that can take place, and uh, it's it's uh, and we will we may suffer persecution coming up, so, uh, I'm just looking for a text that I want to good. All right, I want to talk to you just for a moment about the, the, the phrase there of suffer. He talks about, um, do not fear what you're about to suffer. um he uses the word there suffer um because none of us like to suffer none of us want to go through hardship and difficulties like that and when he says do not fear what well, he's he's actually you can actually translate that stop being afraid uh, things are going to get worse they're going to cast you into prison suffering is going to be a test for you uh, real persecution real difficulties stop being afraid now that word suffering, let me give you just a couple of places, that's why I was looking this up, a couple of other verses, Philippians 1.29 uh, uh, says this, it says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you to do that. Acts 9.16 is another verse. Um, says, uh, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Today. That's what the Lord was telling Peter. He's going to have to suffer for my name. Today. First Thessalonians 2.14 says this, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did for the Jews. There's that suffering. And 2nd Thessalonians 1 5, and that'll be the last one I will quote from, it, says, uh, this is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. So the point is, and that's what I want, is don't be afraid of suffering. Now, I'm just as vulnerable as you are. I don't like suffering. I don't like persecution. I don't like difficulties. I don't, I don't care for that. But, <clears throat> and this church knew what it was like to be afraid to, to fear that it was that it was a pressure that was coming, coming upon them but he says stop being afraid um jesus said in luke 12 i say to you my my friends do not be afraid of those who kill the body and have to have no more they can do don't worry about the ones who kill the body worry about the ones who cast your soul into hell god is to be feared not man and uh it, it's just it may come about but don't don't fear that then he goes on to, to say, and I, I need to hurry on. Um, Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. Uh, the testing can be a testing to test you to see your strength, or it can be a testing that comes from the devil to make you fall. Temptation can be mm-hmm. the one. Uh, what he says here is that. Um, The devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested i want you to notice this who is this casting the prison it's the devil is the devil in charge no god's in charge but he uses the devil and he allows the devil to get to do his thing and to, to, to uh put this pressure on them and yet understand that god is in charge god is on the throne and everything that comes down to us suffering hardship tests trials has to come through the hand of Almighty God, who is our shepherd, and who loves us and knows what it is. Who's, whose job is it to keep us from stumbling? It's the shepherd's job. Whose job is it to make sure that we have what we need? It's the shepherd's job. Whose job is it to make sure this is my prayer to the Lord. I've prayed this many times. Lord, don't if I'm starting off in the wrong direction, if I'm doing this, you're my shepherd. I'm asking you to protect me, to keep me hanging in the right direction, and help me not be deceived, because we can be deceived. It's easy to be deceived, and so we can do that. So he's the shepherd; he's the one that has that responsibility. And uh, so, um, and then notice here, God is sovereign; He's in charge of that. That sounds like a bad thing when it says that the devil is about to cast some of you are in prison, but actually, it's a sign that God's in charge. He is on the throne; He is the one that limits that. He limits it to ten days, which after we go through all the different theories about what these ten days are, probably means ten days he's going to persecute you for 10 days and that that 10 days is going to end and and, uh, i will take care of that so anyway here's the attack from the devil it's the proof that who is genuine who is who is an enemy and who is really on your side who is not and it's just nice to have to know that god is in charge he says to be faithful unto death and i will give you the crown which is life really um Again, um, it sounds harsh in a way, perhaps, to say be faithful to death, but I just remind you that this is nothing that the Lord has not done for us, and uh, his grace, what does Paul say, his grace is sufficient, sufficient. when I am weak and I am strong, Paul went through it, it is not, it is an, It is more the exception than the rule that believers die without going through martyrdom, of some kind or another, and uh, we are we are have the privilege the privilege of owning the lord during times of pressure and putting him first that is an honor and a privilege and i can promise you that the reward is a billion times better than the pressure and it it will be worth it all so and that's really the message of this particular letter here is this a small church going through a hard time of, of difficulties but the lord promises that he's going to see that church prosper um he who has he who overcomes that is uh he who doesn't give in and quit he who overcomes will uh, not be hurt by the second death he will have life he will be resurrected the the, the blessings and the privileges are so so far outweigh the pressure um you know peter all the apostles with the exception of john suffered martyrdom and uh paul did too and it's going down through polycarp uh it's not fun to think about and yet it, the fact is that it was a blessing that we serve the lord and have the opportunity to stand up for him and he doesn't promise that it's going to be a hundred percent martyrdom there will be some that will be martyred those that are leaders will probably be martyred but the others will really have their homes taken away their properties that's what happened here in this particular i didn't read that because of time but that's what happened here is the jews Use the system to take the properties and the buildings away from the the believers and kind of divest themselves of their wealth and stuff like that. And and, and they were were kind of hardship, having hard times to try to provide. So anyway, this is the letter that the church that was suffering. I don't know if we're going to go through that kind of suffering or not. I do know we're in a world that is increasingly become hostile, and I do know that also that the gospel has universally produced. Uh, rejection by the people you go through that. They just, what does the Lord say in John 5? says that light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And we're living in a day in which the deeds are becoming more and more increasingly evil. And um, pressure may come, and it may not just come from the world, it may come from the church. So we want to be faithful to the Lord and just recognize that that Jesus is on the throne, and while Satan may do his best to, to do damage to us, I think of uh, Pharaoh when the Lord promised Moses, he said, now I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. What he did, I mean, here's Pharaoh, and you don't have to do anything to harden Pharaoh. Pharaoh is going to go the other way, but the Lord will intervene and make his heart soft if he wants Him to be soft, but he doesn't. He says, I'm just going to let him go, and so I'm going to harden his heart. So Moses goes up there, and the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Well, that's because of what God said. God said, have a little heart in his heart. There you see, hard his heart. He's in charge. Doesn't make a mistake. God's in charge. Pharaoh thinks he's in charge. He's not. God's in charge. And that he, he knows what he's doing. He never makes a mistake. So here's the letter. Here's to us. I don't know if we're going to go through this or not. I know that the church, the thing, the one that I identify with most is really the church at Ephesus. Because that's, that's the church that is easy to be sidetracked. To forget that this is the one who's in charge of me, in charge of you, in charge of everything else. And uh, he tells us um, not to lose that first love, not to lose that focus. Don't forget who's the boss. Don't forget who's in charge. Don't forget who's given himself for us. It's easy to do that. It really is easy to be distracted. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. any man loves the world, the love that the Father has given to us to love him turns from loving him and loving the things of the world instead so we don't want to do that so we want to be faithful so let me close the prayer father i know we've kind of rambled on quickly here this is a good letter and i'm i'm uh, glad to be identified with this church and uh, i pray that you'll help us help me to be faithful not not to be sidetracked not to be detoured not to put value in things that are not valuable, but be faithful. And the Lord, I, the, the day and the moment, the hour when I stand before You, only You know that moment, and You only You know what's going to be said. The embarrassment on my part will be great. I pray that You'll help me to, to live a life that honors You, and pray that You'll help us in this church to honor You and to glorify Your name, and regardless of what the future holds, and science and things of this nature. I thank you that you're the one that's on the throne. I thank you in charge. Thank you for that. I pray that you'll help us to be faithful even unto death. And uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. And thanksgiving.